I sort of wish the Lord had given me another topic this morning. (laughs) But he didn't. I'm sure he knows why. You know, religion is a word that's tossed around a lot. It's used a lot in our nation, a land where freedom of religion is celebrated, where everybody has the right to seek their own religious expression, and that's true. So just what do we mean when we talk about a religion? Well, I think, first of all, we just need to, every now and then, I just need to go get the world's definition of things to clarify for me what it is that I believe despite whatever it may say in somebody's dictionary. Religion. It's the belief in and worship of, not so bad so far, right? Of a superhuman controlling power. Especially a personal God or gods. Okay. Secondary meaning It's a particular system of faith and worship. All right. And then getting even on a different plane, it can be a, a pursuit or interest to which someone ascribes supreme importance. My golf game has really gotten bad. And for many years, in a strange kind of way, it has been of supreme importance to me to be able to beat most of the people who get on the tee box with me. It disturbs me when some people beat me regularly. Now, understand, I'm pretty careful to pick my opponents. (laughs) And in order for me to continue to have a supreme interest in golf, I may have to pick some different ones. Because they keep humbling me. And along with that, the body keeps doing strange things. I know I'm a mama's child, but I didn't really want her arthritic hands waking me in the night. But, oh well. I never thought golf was a religion, although some people refer to golf as their religion. Meaning they go play golf on Sunday instead of coming to church. I've known fishermen who, when fishing was their religion, I've often heard... I was fortunate that I never was around people regularly who confused religious-type zeal for things of this earth with the faith they had in Jesus Christ. And that's why oftentimes when we're talking, you hear me say things like, Christianity is not really a religion. Although it is defined that way, I get it. But it's not the same as other religions in many kinds of ways. It is true. It is a belief system. But we do not believe what's in your head and what you believe is all that we mean by the word belief. It is true that in our belief system as Christians that the things we believe are important and the way we worship is important. But we do not worship any human regardless of how super they might have been. The only human that's ever been worthy of worship, his name was Jesus. And he was worthy of worship not because he 
was better than other humans, but rather because he was more than human. He was divine. That's what we claim when we talk about God becoming human and living on the earth. So when I read such things as a superhuman controlling power, it sounds like they're really believing in transformer machines or something, or some Marvel comic hero. Christians are not confused by that. And we do some things religiously. Some people work religiously. I've been accused of such a thing. I'm growing out of it. But I was a rather persistent young pastor when I was much younger. My wife rarely had to tell me to come home or else. That became religious to me after I experienced or else a few times. You know, we do a lot of things religiously, but we don't consider our faith a religion in the sense that we do something and something happens. Rather, we consider our faith an expression of kind of a religion, but it's more about relationship than it is about even what we believe. It's more about who we're connected to that we believe is our creator than it is about a list of doctrine. Don't get me wrong. Doctrines are important. What we believe is important. But I know some people who have very good doctrine, but I don't want to be behind them should we both die on the same day in the proof text line because they know a whole lot of stuff, but I don't want what they're going to receive getting all over me when I'm up there because all that doctrine and that stuff they know sometimes causes them to hold on less to the person they know. The beautiful thing about Wesleyan theology is that faith and belief and practice is never allowed to be separated. It was one of Wesley's strong emphasis continually. It's not enough to know enough stuff. It's got to sink into the fiber of your being, into your heart and into your mind. It's got to find expression in a relationship with God that is personal. That's what we're talking about in evangelical circles when we talk about a personal faith. We're talking about more than religion. Do I know any religious Christians? I know some people who call themselves Christians who are also religious. And I know a lot of Christians who are religious. Most Christians are religious to a fault sometimes. I'm a little different. I'm kind of irreligious to a fault. I don't like to do the same thing over and over very often. We will always use water when we baptize, but my prayers will always be different. If you had a hymnal, you'd say, but you're supposed to have said this, Pastor. Well, 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 uh, I didn't. I said what was on my heart. It's kind of the same way when we go about our faith. If it becomes routine, sometimes also means slash religious. Routine is deadly to the church of Jesus Christ. Routine is deadly to your relationship with Jesus Christ if it becomes so routine that you're not involved in it. You can say the Lord's Prayer together and it can be a powerful statement of your faith or you can mumble the words along with everybody else when the Lord's Prayer has been done in unison. Same thing with the Apostles' Creed. That kind of liturgy can be inspiring and empowering, but it needs to be entered into, not just spoken or read as the words are on the page. 
It's not just ho-hum, let's say the Lord's Prayer. No. <laughs> if you say it that way, why don't you just, just keep silent? It's kind of like whenever Ariel's going to sing a song and you think you're not going to participate, well, you're wrong. Because she will drag you in there or she will just keep on singing until you are. Thank you for that, by the way. Sometimes we have to be dread, drug into the presence of God. And you say, well, what? I thought we were talking about prayer. I'm coming around to that. I'm coming around to it a little reluctantly, but I'm almost there now. In fact, last week we talked about prayer. And um, the personal relationship we have with God. This personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, this triune way in which we understand our God, begins in and with us whenever we express our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, except that his blood was necessary for our sins to be forgiven, and make a commitment to follow him to the best of our ability for the rest of our lives. And then the creator who made us has made possible for us through the son, Jesus, that we might be saved. And not only saved, but sustained by the Holy Spirit who resides in us and with us. And is at work across the world, constantly redeeming his people. Last week we talked about the pathway of prayer. We made clear you have to believe in Jesus if you want to see your prayers answered. We made clear you need to love God and others It's a simple, basic part of the scriptures in order to have your prayers answered. We even talked about, in his book, Greg made it clear that obedience is an important part of your faith walk. To pray to God and to ask God to do something for you when you're ignoring God with your life makes those prayers mostly futile. I understand that obedience is a relative term, but according to what you know and how you're walking with it, And how you're following it, that is your obedience. Now, we also mentioned that you need to pray in Jesus' name. You know, it won't do any good to pray in Doug's name, I can assure you. It won't do any good really for you to pray in the church's name. You need to pray in Jesus' name. That's the person who gets prayer answered. That's the person who answers prayer. We talked about the fact that prayer needs to be done believing in faith. It needs to be done persistently. It needs to be done living faithfully according to to helping God in his work in the kingdom of God. Those are the kind of prayers God's yearning to answer. It needs to be prayed specifically so that God knows clearly what you're praying about and so that you clearly know when God has answered your prayers. And it is most powerful when done in unity in the body of Christ. Now this week, I've got a little bit of a disarming title, maybe, or maybe it seems a little simple, and that's okay either way. Prayer is personal. Communication with God is personal. We talk to God, God talks to us, we exchange ideas, and hopefully we listen in the process to what God is teaching us. We get to go to God in prayer and feel and hear in our soul, God tell us he loves us. There's nothing more powerful than praying and hearing God whisper to you how much he loves you, how much he cherishes you, how much he wants to be with you. 
That should be truly remarkable because, quite frankly, even though the speaker yesterday was talking about how great you're all, I know you. And you're all right as people go. But, you know, in general, I don't know why God loves you so much. And because I know more about me than you do, I'm surely stupid by it that he tells me he loves me because, and no, I'm not going to tell you why, that I'm so surprised by that. In fact, the closer we get to God, the more unworthy we feel like we are. And yet in that precise moment of feeling unworthy is when God pours his love into you and rises up the sense of self-esteem in your hearts and minds and makes you somebody. That is an amazing gift in prayer. Prayer is personal, and it feels so good to know that God is listening, to know that when we go to him, in the pivotal moments in our lives, in fact, there's a book I was reading through some yesterday, yes, last evening, called Pivotal Prayer. It complements a lot with what we were reading about extreme prayer uh, these past few weeks. God is present. Wow. I get to spend time to God. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go hang out with God. Or in the use phrase, that dude is cool. I'm going to go talk to the one who understands me. What a precious gift we have because prayer is personal. But in chapter 7 of Greg's book, he brings up a nasty little truth. And it's one of the things I don't like about prayer. Because prayer is personal. And I take it personally when my prayers don't get answered the way I'm, what, for what I'm praying for. How about you? You ever take a prayer real personal? You know, you've prayed to God and it was so important to you. It, and it meant so much to you. And usually it's not only personal in the sense it's between us and God. It's personal because whatever it is that we're praying, praying about is so important to us. As Greg points out, sometimes the fact that it's personal and it doesn't get answered how we want it answered or when we want it answered or in the way we want it answered or sometimes it just seems like it doesn't get answered at all. Not even no, just not an answer. Remember, prayer is personal and that's great, but when it doesn't turn out for something that is very important to me, I get frustrated because it's personal. I've said before to God, really, dude? You couldn't answer that one little prayer? Did you not know how important that person's life was? Did you not know? You do care, I know. I know, you care. Why couldn't you have changed those earthly circumstances? Why couldn't you have saved that teenager from themselves? They all drive like idiots. I was one once, only for about 10 minutes, an hour, most hours. And yet, wrecks happen, teenagers die, parents pray for their children to be spared from drugs, and yet some children still take drugs. It scars their lives. 
We pray for people to get well and get healthy. I tend to pray quick prayers about health. Lord, I'm sick. I need to get healed, and I'd like it to come now. And that just doesn't happen very often for me. I hope it's working for you. Does it happen to me a lot? Oh, I get healed of most of the things that are there, but I got a feeling this ache in these two knuckles and this thumb is going to be a thorn in my flesh and perhaps even a thorn in my golf game. I may have to start pointing this way sooner or later when I'm preaching, but don't worry, I'll find a way to point. That's part of getting old. It's kind of silly for me to ask God not to make me old. It's kind of silly. So I try not to do that, but I don't like it when it wakes me in the middle of the night. So if I'm grumpy this morning, I'll be through in a moment. Don't worry. When prayer is so personal and so important and it doesn't get answered, we feel like the chapter title for chapter 7. We can feel forsaken. It's a trick of the devil to take our minds to the place where when things don't happen the way we think they should, that that means God has forsaken us. And what he reminds Paul of is is that my grace is sufficient for you, which is another way of saying I'm sufficient enough for you, despite the circumstance. And Greg goes on to say, That throughout Scripture, not just Paul, but throughout the Psalms, uh, throughout Lamentations, throughout many places in Scripture, people are crying out in anguish to God. And the first time I really read the Old Testament was when I went to seminary, except for a few passages I preached when I was a local pastor. Don't tell anybody that now. Some of them are still alive. But I just didn't know much about the Old Testament. When I took a class in the Old Testament, I remember... I remember where the the young professor stood up there and said, you know, when you're hurting and you're angry and you're frustrated and you feel forsaken, we'll cry out to God. And I thought, ooh, man, a lightning bolt could strike in here. This guy's too young to know what he's talking about. And then he said magic words to me. He says, you know what? God can handle your anger. And now Greg Pruitt has added another thought in my little head. Not only can God handle your anger... But you still need to be obedient in your walk of faith while you're angry. And if you are, God will hear those angry statements in love. He won't do what he did to the Israelites, messed up, and then cried out, Oh, forgive us. And God like, what for? You're not getting it. And so they got punished. And just for a moment, I want, I want to do a short litany. There are reasons prayer might not be getting answered. First of all, Things that we don't really understand might play a key role in God's kingdom plans in very strange ways. And if that's the case, we can always be sure that God's kingdom plans are going to come to fruition. And it may mean that we're praying for something in a way that's never going to happen simply because it's not God's plan. It's not what God is going to bless. And we may be doing what we're doing in very good faith, but it can happen. Prayers sometimes don't get answered because of our own disobedience, because of our own faithlessness, if you will. 
how our relationship is presently with God when we pray has something to do with it. Prayer may not be answered because we're asking God to alter the universe, and though God occasionally does that, he doesn't do it every moment in, in the presence of anyone. Sometimes we can pray about something, and yet we're asking really God to take away death from our experience. And God says, sorry, you've already messed that up. Y'all are going to die. Sue's going to, she's going to die, and she did. It's okay. That's the human existence reality. I didn't pray for her not to die. In fact, I looked at her, and she did open her eyes a time or two, though she was, I don't think she really knew I was there, but hopefully she could hear if not God could. Take her home, Lord. Her life is over. It's not the way I felt about Bubba at all when he was 16, and I was on my way to Dallas and just slept on the floor with him in a youth sleepover, and he didn't get up the next morning. He died. I knew that Bubba had lived 16 years when he should have lived maybe 16 weeks. That's how bad his heart was at birth. I knew that God had given Bubba 16 years. Nobody thought he, he would ever have. And I knew that now he was soaring like an eagle in heaven. But I just didn't want Bubba to die. I wanted Bubba to live. And it made me frustrated that God would not heal him. You ever known that feeling? It's common to us all because sin and death and disease are real. And sometimes it takes people's lives. Sometimes people do idiotic things. They drink and then they drive and then they have wrecks. And usually, though they live, they kill other people, innocent people, good people. I know none of you are ever going to drink. Right? Or use drugs. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Okay, maybe some of you are. The odds are against you. All staying true. But I want you to know something. If you do something stupid... You don't have to do two things stupid. If you find yourself having had fun at a party nobody intended you to have from your house, like your mom and daddy, and you know you're about to get in your car and drive, you don't have to do that. My phone number is on every card around here. You can call me. I will be much nicer than your parents. But I won't be very nice. But I will get you home eventually in a shape to tell your parents what a mistake you made the next day. And you will not have the opportunity to run into a car that might be carrying some of my family. Because that's not okay. You call Nick, you call Doug, you call Cindy, you call somebody. Don't compound your sin. We humans are bad about compounding our sin. 
and then we want God to fix it. There are consequences to your sin. Don't waste your breath asking God to remove them all from you because rarely, rarely, rarely. How often does he do it? Rarely. You commit big sin, you get the consequences. So don't go whining to me other than to pray for your future. Don't ask me to ask God to change the consequences of what you've done because I'm 63 years old. As best I can tell, God rarely does that. People want to do things that are wrong, and then they want God to fix it 20 minutes later, and everything be rosy. But they've already set into action a set of circumstances that they're going to have to reap from. What you sow, you shall reap. That works in the good side. That works in the bad way. This topic is depressing me. I'm going to move on. (laughs) Too much truth is hard for me to handle sometimes. Prayer is personal. In good times and in bad times. We can cry out and we can remain faithful. Paul experienced it and we've experienced it. Now, I just want to end talking about our call to prayer. I think some of you are praying. Most of you are praying at home. But I felt the power of the congregation behind us when we met yesterday. I thought it was a wonderful event. and it's going to, From it, much seed is going to sprout about this church's future. But three months ago, almost three months ago, Cindy and Chip and I in consultation felt like we need to call the congregation to prayer. And we set aside three Saturdays to pray in unity about certain topics in this building. Hmm. Attendance has been poor. Hmm. We thought we heard a word from God. And so we shared it with you. Most of you just don't have enough time to drive by the church and spend 30 minutes or an hour praying. Huh. That surprises me about you praying people. I know you got together on the phone or internet and I'll agree you could pray at home just as well as you could pray here. That's not what we ask you to do. Next Saturday, we're going to have our last call to prayer at the church. It's about you. Remember the topic for this month is, what is God going to, how is God going to use you in the coming days and the future of this church? You might begin with prayer, and you might begin it in this building, praying sometime during your busy, busy Saturday, filled with terribly important things. You say, you sound like you're meddling. I am. You sound like you're almost being unkind. Might be. But if the shoe fits your little foot, just wear it. Because God has called us in unity to pray. A staff person will be here throughout the day as they have been the other two weeks as well. Open from early until late in the evening. It doesn't take long, but you know what this is a great time to do? It's a great time for you to teach your children and your grandchildren about prayer. I'd like to see generational families praying together. I'd like to see 
grandpa and grandma, teaching their grandchildren why we're here on Saturday after your ball game to pray and we just didn't go do something else fun. I like to see you put words in their mouth that teach them how to petition God for his calling upon their life. I'd like to see you do that. I'd like to hear it. God would like to hear it. God will honor what we do together. Just like we had almost perfect attendance of 40 people at the meeting yesterday. One person had to leave early and one person couldn't come because of a, a, a college-age-bound student's commitments. Everybody else was there. Everybody else almost perfectly turned in their papers. They just don't see that that often. You are a special people. You'll be even more special when you unite for prayer about how God's going to use you in this world at this chance or hell. We will have a list of how you can teach your children to pray. We'll be giving you some specifics to share about things we want the whole congregation to pray about. Okay, I'm through. But God is not. Are you going to come? Are you going to make the time to come to this place and pray? Father God, these people love you. They worship you. They praise you. They pray to you regularly. We don't always get our way, Lord, but we're not going to be quiet. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep crying out, and we're going to keep believing until it's obvious that your answer is something other than we want. Father, if there's anyone here today who needs to come to this chancel around pray, we just hope they come while we sing. If there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know you as a Savior, we want to introduce them to you. If there's anyone here, Lord, who doesn't have a community of faith where they can pray together about God's work in a unified way that they will want to be attracted to this congregation in the days to come. Lord, let anyone come who needs to come. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.